welcome to Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy, the podcast for children's musicians by a children's musician. Wow, I wonder if that's sounding weird to everybody else. I sound like I'm in a can. Do I sound like I'm in a can? Sound good to me. Okay, fair enough. Good. I'll just go on then. Uh, Today, we're chatting with a performer, an artist, a creative genius who lives in New York City. Again, back to New York City. We've been hitting New York a lot lately, which is really cool. Must be something going on there, something creative about New York. I don't know what it is. And uh, the performer who we're going to chat with today is very cool for several reasons. First, they have super high energy and great music and super fun songs, which I totally appreciate. And the other thing is, is that as of late, uh, regardless of when you're listening to this podcast, you may have noticed that we're going through a situation where most of us have to stay at home all the time. And that's a big challenge for performers who make their living going out and needing to be close to or in front of an audience. So when you can't do that, how do you transition your business and how do you transition your expectations and your, your your whole gig so that you can keep going? And while a lot of us have been challenged by that, one person has found a creative way to continue using the internet and live streaming and stuff like that. And they do a great job. And so we're going to pick their brain and see exactly what their secrets are, steal their secrets and take over the world, right? Because that's always the plan, isn't it? Yes, it is. Okay, so today I would like to bring to the barn Mills Trills. Hello. Hello, how are you? I'm well. <laughs> Actually, I'm kind of sleepy. What intro, gosh. Thanks. I'm... I was like, who's the present? Oh, what is he talking about? <laughs> Um, yes, I pride myself on my intros. That's, that's it. The rest of it's all downhill. So you get the first four minutes of conversation, then people turn it off. So we'll, we'll talk about the really good stuff at the very end. So they have to stick around. So you are Mills Trills. You are in New York City and you are a performer for children and families. Is this true? It is true. Um, my, my real name is Amelia. And when I was little, my younger brother could not say all the syllables in Amelia. So I acquired the nickname Mill. So um, when I started writing songs in college, my close friends who called me Mill just kind of came up with Mill's Trills. So I guess when I started doing music, kids music, I was like, what should I name my stuff? And then that kind of came about. But yes, that is me. How long have you been doing the kids music thing? Uh, I just celebrated my 10th anniversary in January, so. Wow. 10 years, yeah. That's great. Is that, that's not paper. What is that? Do you, do you know the anniversaries? Like there's oh. paper, silver. Oh, I don't know which one it is, but this one was. Uh, Vinyl. Fun. Fun. <laughs> it was like a uh, transformation. Because I feel like at the 10 year mark, I can like look back at a decade and like see everything that's led me to this point and then look to the future and see all the possibilities of what's to come. So it feels like a very, like a peak, mm-hmm. like that you can uh, assess everything from, and then kind of it's, you know, on top of this whole pandemic, it seems very timely because I think everybody's going through that on some level mm-hmm. also, no matter, even if they're not at the 10 year mark, but 10 years, yeah. it is, it's a nice it's strange, I think, in the life of a human to be able to have those markers, that decade marker. It does seem to be 
for me anyway, I agree. It's, it is a, a nice time to turn and reflect. Like it's, I don't know, it just works well mathematically maybe with our cycles. Like yeah. nice even number. Yeah. Yeah. So you have three albums, but you worked on a uh, you worked on one before that. So four album projects, but three of your own. The last one came out. Big one, yeah. I released um, one grown up album also, and an EP. Okay, so I didn't. I don't know if I saw that on your website. (laughs) What's that? It's hidden. I try to keep them separate. You know, don't you have that split personalities? You know, I do. Podcast. I can totally relate to that. It's so. What what name do you perform under for the uh, for the non kids? It's my own name, like Amelia okay. Robinson. But I, you know, released something back in 2013. It's very old. Um, I have been working on some newer grown up stuff, but I have no time really to. I just haven't been able to focus on it because the kids stuff is really kind of taking up more of my time and also kind of exciting stuff going on there. So are you full time with the kids music stuff? Yes, I am. That is awesome. And Mm -hmm. tour. Do I tour? Yes, I tour. Um, I tour. I I've been spending a lot of summers before all this, um, like going to tour a lot of different museums. Like last year I was at in Arkansas and I'd been to at the crystal bridges, which is like an amazing art museum, art complex. And, in Bentonville, um, Arkansas. And then I went to um, the Walker Art Center uh, in Minneapolis, which is an amazing city. I was so impressed by that place and the community, you know, talking about community. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, Mass Mocha, I like love museums. I love visual art. So it's really been a treat to kind of play at museums and go on tour. I was supposed to go to the Surrey Children's Festival in British Columbia in a couple weeks, but of course that's canceled and I was going to play some shows around Seattle, but it looks like they are going to have me there next year. So that's, that's cool. Yeah. Back in and Seattle. I used to live in London. Um, you know, I grew up in Brooklyn, New York, and I think there came a point where I was kind of just needing to get out. You know, I was a little envious of all those people who like come to New York to like, find themselves and I was just here already and so I my equivalent of of doing that was moving to London and my mom is she's Australian but she was born in England so I had a passport which made it really easy Mm -hmm. so I went over there and I pursued composition and as a result I made some contacts there so then I ended up through my kids music going back and performing at the South Bank Center and Royal Concert Hall in Nottingham so it's been a real delight to be able to travel through the through music it's kind of been one of my goals and it's nice to to be able to do that oh yeah that's the best plus it's really cool to show up at a new place and see that kids are kind of the same I've talked to a couple folks who who live in England and perform over there and I was asking them uh about the difference is there a difference between you know, uh, an audience in the UK and an audience in Boston. And they're like, no. Uh, definitely. Oh there, oh, there is. What do you think is the difference? Definitely. I mean, my show is really interactive. And um, at the beginning of Mills Trills, I was going to the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I went twice. Mm-hmm. And the audiences there were just so hungry for to like be a part of the show and to mm-hmm. be in it. So it was really well suited. Like I got, it was so satisfying. 
you know, for, for the interactive element, just to get all that feedback and get all that energy. And not to say like, you know, people in Boston are not energetic, but I just think it's a cultural, it's a, it's a different relationship to art, like as being entertained and, um, you know, in America, it's sometimes like, at least in New York, like we're so busy, we're, and I'm talking like pre-pandemic because I feel like mm -hmm. there's like pre and post-pandemic stuff mm -hmm. going on right now. But as as a whole, what I appreciated from England was the appreciation of the arts on and on a cultural level. Like like ads in the subway in the tube were like for museum openings and album releases. And then I remember coming back to New York and having like reverse culture shock and be like. Uh, anxiety, like, <laughs> mm, mm -hmm. you know, anxiety posters in the subway. It's like, oh my God, this is just. Yeah, posters here are for, um, let's see, uh, medication, um, websites, and, uh, you know, clubs, workout facilities. And yeah, that's exactly. what I noticed. We have different, we have dif different priorities. You do online web streaming now for your fans. And part of that, or at least one of the videos that I saw, was specifically on songwriting, live mm -hmm. interactive sort of songwriting. Is that something that you do in your live shows or during your during the during the in person performances? Yeah. So I guess in the last two years, I've really been pushing myself to create new ways to engage with audiences and focus more on the process of music making and trying to integrate that into the show. So I've been developing my show as a songwriting show. And the challenge has been like, how do you do that in a large scale and still make it really intimate? And, and the, the goal is to hopefully have everyone involved feel like they're part of the process. Mm -hmm. So there are a lot of questions around that. Like, how do you make each kid feel like their voice is important. Mm -hmm. And songwriting for me is really a tool to build emotional literacy um, and to like have a way for kids to feel accepted, encouraged and valued through the process. So there's, um, I got this, this fellowship two years ago from the Jubilation Foundation that kind of allowed me to, you know, take a step back and evaluate what I've been doing and naturally and kind of like, picking apart like what are my techniques like this comes naturally but what am I really doing here because I think there's something that's working and kids are developing this such a beautiful relationship to the creative process like what what am I doing here and how can I share it with others so you know now I have what I've been calling the messy music the Mills Trills messy music method mm -hmm. and it's a very clear they're very clear deliberate techniques that I've been doing that if I were to tell you, you would notice them straight away in the songwriting um, shows that I'm, and workshops that I'm doing. And that's like, my hope is to create opportunities for kids to have that experience, you know, to have like, to just be able to be in the moment and trust themselves and like find discomfort in the certain uncertainty mm -hmm. and trust that something will come of it, but like release ourselves of expectation and standard and judgment and criticism. Um, and still be be happy with or content really with what's going on with ourselves in the moment. Um, and then I also really wish to 
develop a teacher training program and help other artists too. Cause I think us, you know, as artists, we look to music or whatever art form to fill a void or to heal a pain that we might've had in the past. And I think it's really interesting when we work with children, like how that is projected onto our work with them. Like at what moments are we um, interrupting their creative flow? You know, what point, oh, because we wanna serve our own standard or our own expectation. It's like, oh, well, they should be learning this or they should be doing this. And mm -hmm. like, we think that, we think that because it's from our own experience, but like really stepping outside and being more responsive to what's what the child actually needs in that moment and how we can serve that rather than like our own idea of what a song is or whatever. Mm -hmm. How do you do that during a live performance then when you have really specific um, guidelines as far as the amount of time, the amount of interaction, that, and then all these variables like the number of kids and how their parents are, you know, responding to this and the environmental noise that's going on around that. How do you find the balance of being able to create that space in a live performance setting? So are you talking about live performance or live stream? Why don't we right start now? with live performance and then we can talk about maybe how you've been able to, or if you've been able to successfully transition that to live streaming. Right. Okay. Well, so in live performance, it's really about like creating a strong structure, but allowing for uh, for flow to happen and for variation and to occur. So I can talk a little bit about this past last summer. I did this amazing songwriting workshop obstacle course. It was a, it was a songwriting obstacle course at Madison Square Park in the city, um, and. Uh, we had like this whole pre-show workshop where kids got to go through stations and they basically built a musical phrase um, just using like circles on lines and spaces like a staff, but it, they weren't like, you didn't, they didn't have to learn about the lines and the spaces. They just plopped it on there and get familiar with the concept of, of notes on a staff, but it wasn't so explicit. Um, and then they could go around and have m musicians play what they made. So I had like five musicians there all playing different things like a trumpet, drums, bass, guitar, and um, trombone. And so they got to hear their piece played in so many different ways and understand that like one thing that they wrote can actually exist in so many different versions. Mm -hmm. And then throughout the show, it's kind of just creating these open-ended questions or opportunities for kids to like you know, put felt on a, uh, or, or to move, like what, another thing we did was like move across um, the stage and like for, we have this like point A and point B and kids can move and the music musicians are following how the kids are moving from one point to the other. Mm -hmm. And that's like a version of a song. It's a phrase and like the, all the different ways we can create music with just our bodies, just like these very basic fundamental elements of us being human. Um, and how many different ways those are. So in live performance, it looks like that. And then in live streaming is like a whole other ball game that we can talk about if you have another. We do. Yes. I want to definitely dig into that. When I go to write a song and then perform, most of the time what my band is doing is we're on a stage and there's the crowd. And so there's that gap and in the interaction that I try and have with them is usually, you know, call and response type stuff 
or some sort of dance movement type thing. But it isn't, uh, We I haven't been able to figure out how to get something that engaging with kids on a mass scale. If you had like 50 kids, it sounds like what you do is you try and give individual experiences to each child in sort of a assembly line process. Is that is that well, what you're talking about? The, the issue is so there's so many different variations of this. And what I my interest is in creating an experience that really works for this the space so like site-specific work mm. so in that instance it was very easy to give each kid a hands-on experience because we had the park we had these stations but in somewhere like the cabot in boston um you know that's like a stage and an audience um and there i did the same version where i just had i sculpted a show where i was talking to the audience but there were still like moments of feedback like well, in the, even before the show started, I went around and I talked to kids and I asked them what a song is. And I got all these post-its and I put them on the stage so that we could all kind of see all the different answers. Like, right? Like mm -hmm. how, again, teaching variation is the norm. This is one question, but we all, like one kid at that show said, a song is Shadows in My Room, three years old. Like it was so, so beautiful. And so we start off the show like like deconstructing what is a song and then rebuilding it slowly. So what are the elements of a song? Okay, well, we've got melody, lyrics, and rhythm. So exploring all of those and, and original songs woven into that so that there's structure, there's like, there's songs there, but then it culminates in like an original, we're writing an original song together. So we kind of, we've explored rhythm, we've explored lyrics and melody and then we like kind of put them all together at the end but all the while you're getting this feedback from the audience and at one point uh at that show at the cabot like there were little tables set up and kids could actually draw squiggle a squiggly line activity that i have and then they we all sang it together so they're singing their own thing but in the context of a larger crowd Wow. So there are lots of different, like this is part of my whole messy music method is kind of developing specific site, specific activities or parts of the show that can then be shared with others and used by others to create this kind of inclusive experience for all types of learners. When you say messy music, so part of what you're talking about makes me feel as a performer relatively uncomfortable because it seems like You'd either have to, and this is probably my own binary problem, why it, why it feels uncomfortable, because it does seem having that amount of individual uh, creative expression going on in a crowd is messy when, to a certain extent, we're charged with crowd control, you know, and and moving people through in, or moving children through sort of a logical, comfortable, acceptable progression from beginning to end during a performance. That's what, that's often what I feel the venue expects. You know, uh, we played a show, a New Year's Eve show a couple years ago, and one of our songs is uh, Put Your Arms in the Air. And the whole thing is about movement, and, you know, put your arms in the air and then clap and sing and jump and turn. And in this theater, literally like five seconds before we were going to go on, the uh, program director came and said, okay, but here's the thing, nobody can stand up. Everyone's got to stay in their seats. And we were looking out at like, you know, 300 kids and they were all just sitting there. It's like, oh man. And oh this is gosh. our opening song. 
So it's like, well, so put your arms in the air, but don't move your body. So anyway, it's that idea that you have to control basically the, uh, the parameters. Oh man, that is such a big challenge. You know, I mean, for me, that's the antithesis of what music is serving. Right. You know, I mean, I, the venues I work with now really understand, like understand the mission that I'm coming from or the mission that I'm on, the mindset that I'm coming from because so much of the world is telling us what we should and should not do. And so much of the world is trying to control us. And, you know, where are the places where we can, we can break free from that? You know, where are the places where we can like, for instance, with emotions, like where can we be angry and it's okay? You know, children are expected in school to act a certain way for their best learning and at home expected to whatever standards meet the standards of their family. And I'm not saying that, you sh you know, of course we need to learn what the boundaries are and what our and structure is really important, but not having structure at some part of, in some part of the day is also just as important or not, not even structure, but just not having like, rigidity or uh, limitations like we need to feel what it's like to to be to push ourselves beyond what we think our capacity is you know if we're trying to develop a generation of creative thinkers in a world where we don't know what's going to happen how are we best preparing them you know if we give them more opportunities to be uncomfortable, be in the messiness and understand how to then transform it into something beautiful and trust in its messiness that it can arrive at a place of wonder and acceptance and that they are okay as they are and they just and they just need themselves to do that. They don't need anybody else telling them that they're great. They don't they it all can all come from within. Like how do we how do we do that? And I think these challenging ourselves, I mean, this is like the biggest thing, you know, how uncomfortable I am most of the time in performances, like when things are like, I'm like, how am I going to do this? Like, <laughs> like this is chaos. Like, you know, it seems like chaos, but so much of that is just my own head, mm -hmm. you know? And so much of it is a practice for ourselves to kind of challenge what we've been taught and how we've been like conditioned to, be these cogs in a bigger wheel so that big corporations can make money or whatever it is, you know, mm -hmm. like it's just kind of a more radical provocative way to think about what the arts arts really mean in our daily lives and what they're for. And this is, and this is what you're capturing through your life performance then when you're yeah, able, when, to. You're, when you're able to get in front of folks. So then, um, specifically then with you and your your mission which is absolutely right on how do you then take that intent and or how did you or how have you or how's it going taking that initiative that intent in a world in a world where suddenly you can't go outside and you can't get in front of kids and kids can't get in front of you. It isn't like you, you, nobody can do this right now where we are. And yet to count, I think you've had like in the six weeks, I don't know when you started to quarantine, 
um, you know, you've had like 30 live stream performances that you've put out mm. there for folks. And I've seen the video on songwriting where you draw the line and you and you just take four minutes to say like, we're going to write a song. And I, I was really curious how you were going to pull that off with a sheet of paper with, we're going to start with a dot. And now we're going to have another dot. And I was like, I have no idea where this is going. Oh, it's a line. And we ended up writing a song together. Or you wrote a, or yeah, we wrote a song together. You were there in video. And mm -hmm. I was, yeah, no, I was here. So, How's that? How have you transitioned from a, an emotional, creative side for you? And then also, your technical ability is next level. Like watching your stuff, you've got things showing up on Facebook, you've got people's comments. It's like, oh my God, this is like high production. It's much more high production than me sitting oh. in my office in my sweatshirt, you know, using Zoom to talk to you. Which I'm like, this is really cool. But but what you what you do, it's like, okay, you've got something going on that's unique and different from other performers. You're an early adopter. You might be on that bleeding edge of technology, but it looks great. So can you walk me through what was your approach when you saw this coming? The pandemic. And mm -hmm. that got you to the point to where you are now, where you're you're out there doing your shows. Well, thanks, Andrew. I think you're first and foremost, you are you're doing great also. And like everybody's basically in their sweatpants on Zoom. So <laughs> I'm not doing anything really different. But to answer your question about the live streaming stuff, I mean, I, okay, so New York's been in quarantine, I think at this point, seven, seven weeks, eight weeks. Um, so in the very beginning, it was really like, there was a lot, a lot of uncertainty, like, man, it was like, we didn't know what was happening every day. We're getting told like a million different things. Um, and at that time I just noticed like, we are all, all the, we meaning like children's musicians on Facebook were kind of just like, uh, I think we can't do anything. This, you just kind of saw, saw this demise of like, our gigs, like all the gigs, just like one by one, one, one. It was just like this crash. It was, it was horrific to see the loss in the course of a day. Like someone lost $20,000. Like it's just devastating. So it was clear to me, I think when there's chaos, I tend to organize, like that's just my go-to like coping mechanism. So I saw, and I really, you know, I consider myself a community artist. I think community is really important and central to the to music, especially in the children's music community. Um, and we have such a great community. And I just saw an opportunity to like bring everybody together. I'm like, okay, I have a skill. I can do this. Let me just create a document where like all of the live streams are in one place and we can send that out and we can help each other and we can elevate each other um, because there's a need for this. There's enough kids to go around, you know, there's this is important and if it's one central place and we can gain traction and get some media coverage and get people to notice it and use it and find us that started a big like an onslaught i think the first week of lockdown i was basically up until like 4 a.m every day because doing this document and it was as much serving my own neuroses as it was other people so i really feel like people are like thank you i'm like no Thank you. Like, I need something to do to like put this in this column and put this and color code this. And like, it just helped me enormously. <laughs> but yeah, it, then it also kind of grew and grew and grew. And then I realized also like, oh, hold on. Like, when am I going to get to my stuff? Like I need, 
am I going to maintain this? Like also kind of, kind of trying to figure out how to help everyone and then also sustain my own mental <laughs> well-being. Um, thankfully, Adam Stout from Playtime Playlist swooped in and like created this whole amazing, amazing website that um, transitioned all that data that I had collected on, you know, a Google Doc, Express, Excel um, spreadsheet, and he put it on the website. And so now it's like organized by time zone and like all of this cool stuff. And he's really, really been um, an amazing resource. So that allowed me, that freed me up a little bit to focus on what I was going to do and also just like rest a little bit. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, I ended up doing, uh, starting like a daily songwriting uh, series on Facebook, like a live stream. Um, and I got hosts, like different, uh, different like uh, guests to join me at each session. And, and, you know, it's been really interesting because I've been questioning a lot, like, I think what other people are going through, like, why am I doing this? You know, like, I really, or why am I doing music? Like, who am I? What is my purpose in life? What is the meaning of this? So I've really been in a, in a lot of assessment mode and try, trying things out and being like really um, honest and, and true to the process and all of this, I think. But what I'm doing the songwriting series for is because I think that is the practice that I'm doing, like the, that I'm hoping I can get other people to, to just say like, it's okay not to know, like, it's okay not to know what the song is going to be like. It's okay not to have a plan, but to have a, an idea, like mm -hmm. the idea is just like, okay, we're going to write a song, but we don't know what it's going to be like. We don't know what it's going to turn out. We're like, trying not to put any judgment on it. And then by focusing on the process and the experience, I find that I'm like in a better mood after that. And I've connected with a friend through the guests and I've gotten feedback and connected with people um, in the comments and the viewers. And that I think is for me who like, I'm feeling an urge to create, but I'm not quite sure, you know, how to all the time. Or I also do like, I have, I'm of the mindset, like, I want to put out, like, po polished work, you know? It's, like, messy music is as much for me as it is the viewer because it's it's this ongoing life practice of being, sitting in the, the messiness and being okay with it. I'm also the type of person to, like, do a lot of, take on a lot of projects <laughs> and then, like, collapse from it. Um, so I cut down, I ended up cutting down the songwriting show to just twice a week. Um, because I think I was realizing like, I just want to paint, like, I want to do these watercolor paintings and like, I need to, and I need to go on walks and kind of understanding the percentage of my time and how to nourish myself and still stay connected to fans, still stay connected to my friends and myself. How do we, how do we do that right now? You know, I think that's like the, a really mm -hmm. big question. And I feel a little bit more on steadier ground now. So I feel like, okay, how can I what do I have that can really help people? Like, so this week I'm, I'm all the money that is going uh, from my shows is going to go to city harvest, which is an organization in New York city that feeds the hungry. My brother has been, he has a big truck. He's been delivering food to the projects um, every week. And like, there are a lot of people suffering in so many ways right now. How can I use my music to, to help them? You know, what else do I have 
aside from, I don't know, when we can't like engage with anybody, like how do, oh, there are just so many questions. Mm -hmm. There's so many questions and I feel like overwhelmed by, by the suffering that's going on right now too. It's immeasurable, the amount of trauma that we're all suffering together in this, at this moment. And it's also, I find very challenging to conceptualize the fact that we're all going through this together in real time at the same time. So questions like, well, how are you end up feeling rel relatively trite, you know, in the sense that it's like, well, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm really equipped to answer how I am right now because I don't know what's going on. And yet I also know that there's a lot of people who are in a much more difficult place than I am right now. It's challenging emotionally for me to, and, and also like here in the mountains of Montana, I'm 10 miles outside of the nearest city, which is 60,000 people. That's my burg. And I'm on 10 acres up here in the woods and I'm all alone and really removed from New York and friends and colleagues like um, Hopalong Andrew, who gets, you know, who's sick for a while because of this and seeing musicians like yourself who are like, well, my, my, my gigs are gone for the year. I have no idea how I'm going to transition through this. All of this combined is pretty overwhelming. And as we were, you know, we were talking about before um, we started the, the podcast this morning, it's like, I woke up this morning with this realization that, well, maybe this isn't going to change. Maybe the change has already happened. And now this is the reality that I need to figure out how to be more empathetic, more compassionate, how to just change where, where I thought my life was going. Kind of off topic, I suppose, but all topic, all on the same topic. How do you see what yeah. you're doing now? How are you, how does this, even though we don't know where we're headed, how are you, do you think that you're going to continue the online webcasting performance stuff? Do you see this as something that you would continue to do if, you know, everything goes back to whatever normal is or when things do, because things do, things will transition. This will pass at some point. We'll all have be a bit wiser and scarred for it but at some point in a year from now you know we're going to be doing what we were doing a year ago so do you see that this is uh this new technology that we're using for communication are you do you think this is something that you enjoy enough that you want to incorporate it into your world moving forward yeah i think it's a, a really amazing way to connect to people beyond your beyond your radius geographically Beyond your geographic radius. Um, like I had people come tune into the show from like Ecuador and Mexico. Like that's pretty wild. I think what you a you're asking is like this big question, you know, how, how are we going to, how is this going to affect us long-term in terms of like our practice and uh, how we engage with our audiences? And I have to say, like, I'm not sure everybody will be able to get back to where they were. I think the economic toll of this pandemic is going to be much longer than we expect. And there are people who are not going to bounce back. There are people, there are restaurants here, mom and pop restaurants that are closing. You know, New York is being transformed. It's hard for me to think about it. I mean, I'm trying to recognize my own privilege and like understand that not 
everybody is going to be okay. And I think it's a real challenge to, to think ahead, quite honestly. Like at this point, I'm just kind of taking it day by day. And I think that's part of like, part of what I'm doing through my music is to just be in the moment, mm -hmm. just be there. Because <laughs> I don't know anything else, you know, at this point. I think the model, you know, speaking, I know most of people who are listening to your podcast are probably music, children's musicians. So speaking to the model of how we sustain our business, I've been resisting Patreon for a very long time. However, I just launched one oh. because it's specifically for messy music, because I really want to develop this, these materials for teaching artists and educators and parents and children. I want to, I, I think there's a huge need for for emotional support, social emotional skills, and we're all understanding that more and more, mm -hmm. especially as this is happening and we're seeing like uh, children suffer uh, from being socially distanced from their friends and being stuck at home and feeling like a bit depressed. I have students that I'm just seeing them get burnt out from Zoom and screen time and all of this stuff. Like what kind of effect is this going to have on them? And I think the need for us to have materials and resources around supporting children's development emotionally is really important. So I think it made sense all of a sudden for me to start a Patreon for messy music because it's going to, so for, do you know how Patreon works? It's basically like a subscription service. So I'm putting it out like you can pay is like $1 a month to gain advanced access to the videos and the content that I create. And also you can get for a little bit more, you can get, um, access to an online workshop or specific advice about a creative block or some some way you want to integrate creativity into your more into your practice and the the idea is like okay if I get a dollar from like 50 people then that's like I can make a video and make like 50 bucks from it or a little less whatever percentage they take out and I can feel really good about making work and reaching people and like connecting to those people who really need it mm -hmm. who are you know in the same boat it just feels like right now like facebook and youtube is so saturated and i'm not totally getting what i need from it all the time which is like more intimate connection mm -hmm. it just feels like like you put you work hard on a video or something you put it out and then it's like where does it go okay maybe it's reaching people maybe it's not but like i need more i need more personal connection right now so mm -hmm. uh it seems like that's the way to go for this particular part of, of a bigger projects, you know. So you're developing a train the trainer, train the trainer type stuff. Yeah. I just realized that, you know, I, I teach privately, I teach workshops, but I can only do so much in my schedule. And I think, you know, if I start teaching teachers or even, you know, organizing like a children's artist workshop with this stuff, it can just help so many more kids, you know, beyond what my time can allow. And I think a lot of kids can benefit from this approach. And I'm only one person, you know, I can't do everything. So it's understanding like my own limitations too. And, mm -hmm. and helping other artists, because so much of this work is also like, what's the our own relationship to our own creativity? Mm -hmm. And how does that drive the art, the music we make? Yeah, which I think is a really important question hmm. to ask ourselves. It's a challenging conversation to have, uh, I think with ourselves and with each other right now because and it's something that i've noticed about this podcast because a lot of what i do is try and talk to people about their best practices but 
a lot of those seem to not really be relevant anymore. But the need for children to have music and the need for children to be able to be creative and the need for us as artists to be creative, that hasn't changed. That's not gone away. We're just trying to find a different bucket to put it in, a different way to express that. And that was one of the things that I noticed about your online presence is that there's a great, there's a a tremendous amount of joy. There's a tremendous amount of creative energy and flow. The production is really good. You look at the camera, you, you seem to be operating at a different level as far as that engagement. You know, a lot of the time it's easy. Just turn on the webcam, sit back with the guitar, play your songs, you know, put an interesting backdrop. And I'm not dismissing that at all. That's you're we're, we're limited to our, capabilities and our technical abilities uh, but you you seem to be providing something that is unique and at a, at a more professional level at a different engagement and so if you were going to talk to me if I'm like hey I want to do a cowboy Andy show what were the what would be the three things that you would say the way that you would suggest that I approach that as far as an online webcasting performance? Where would you start? How would you coach me? Well, well, (laughs) (laughs) I would want to know what your intentions are. You know, what we all as adults have expectations. So like, what are your expectations from the show? What do you want to get out of it? What's really important to you? Because I think that's where it starts. And when you create content, when you create music, audiences will connect to you based on like the authenticity, authenticity of your intentions. And, you know, I think I, I, there was definitely part of myself that was struggling with like, okay, like I need to get out there. Like I, 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 you know, the very deep, I'm going to be a bit vulnerable now, but the very deep root, I think of what was motivating me to do so many projects. And I'm just using myself as an example. I want to focus on like helping you too, but I just, I can only speak for, from my perspective in this sense was like, as an example, I, I was so afraid. I've been so afraid of like being left behind and whether it's like my old history of like family dynamics, being in a big family and like being the middle child, like that came out in full force. And that was what was driving me to do a lot of this stuff. And then I'm like, wait a minute, like I need to focus on like the being seen part. Like how can I nurture that within myself? Like I can't get that from my work. That's not fair. So I guess what I would ask you, and I would be really interested to have a conversation with you about like, why do you want to do this? Like, what's going on with you? Do you just really feel like, well, let me ask you, like, why, what would, what would drive you to be, to do your Cowboy Andy show? So there would be the fact that like you, I've been doing this about 10 years, not quite 10 years, and I've built momentum behind this business. I mean, I've worked hard to create a brand and marketing and a fan base and to figure out how to make a go of this. And I don't want that to completely go away. I don't personally, I don't, I'm, I wouldn't be relying on a show um, through Venmo or PayPal for tips or something at this point, uh, because my fan base wouldn't be big enough to support that because I'm really weep like we play events and festivals that's our revenue for the band but you know i've worked really hard to to get momentum going with the project my music project and i would and i just feel like like everybody else my excel spreadsheet of gigs that was all mapped out and everything just was gone and the ones that 
haven't mm-hmm. officially canceled, I'm not really inclined to play because I don't want to attach my name to the event where the second wave happened because people, you know, decided mm-hmm. that they wanted to have an event when it was maybe too soon. So that's that would be one of the motivators. Part part of it is yes, I want to connect. I and not to dismiss this, it sounds weird. Well, yes, of course, I want to connect with my kid, you know, with kids and make them happy. But you know, part of it is it's uh, it's giving my fans something to remember me, so that I don't just so that it doesn't all just fall apart. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think it's fair right now as artists. You know, we're talking about our artistry to think about our 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 connection to our music and why we do it, you know, and to really dig into, dig into that. And that's separate from the service that you're providing. You know, that's just like the service is, is a separate thing. And I can think, I think they can both exist. And I think they're both important to assess um, right now. But maybe there's another question I would have for you is like, how do you want to be challenged? Like, or how is this experiencing challenge experience challenging you? And how can you use your art to help? You know, is there more of like a persona you want to have as Cowboy Andy? Like, is there something you want to develop that way? I think part of these online streams, like the beauty of them is they're so like, they're so humanized, you know, we're all fumbling around be like, oh, how do you get this to work? And like, even like celebrities or people out there are just like, it's a beautiful thing how messy it is, you know? Mm -hmm. And like, we are asking, how are you? But like, we're also getting much more honest answers than we've ever gotten before. So is there a way that you can practice in yourself, like developing some part of your artistry or character or whatever you have or around your music that you can push yourself a little bit to do that where you might not in this arena that you were talking about before, where, you know, your audience has to sit still and there's like rigidity. Like we have a weird sense of freedom in despite this isolation we have a weird sense of experimentation it's it's accepted now it's expected and it's invited Mm -hmm. do you worry about the balance of screen time for kids where five months ago we were like fewer screens is probably better and now our main access point is screen time yeah i worry about that i think anything is that's not balanced has repercussions. So I'm I'm noticing a lot of people just stepping away on weekends or, you know, I was working with some kids in a workshop for a while and then they're, it's just becoming more apparent that they're getting, it's not serving them like it did in the beginning, like whereas it might've served in the beginning an opportunity for them to connect with other kids online through songwriting. After a while, their needs are changing. So, okay, maybe take a break for a couple of while and then come back and I think so many parents are doing a wonderful job kind of, I don't know how parents are handling this right now, but hats off to all parents. That's just what I have to say. But, you know, they are being in tune with what their kids' needs are and able to say, like, we're going to take a break, we'll come back, and, and limiting, limiting that for kids. Yeah, but, you know, the struggle is like, what else? How else do we connect with people right now? It's really hard. So I guess is giving, I think parents are also very inundated with resources and things that like still, how can we give them support? How can we give educators support? All these people who are working so hard to 
help kids during this time are themselves inundated with stress and there's no time to even process any of this, you know? I mean, I'm the one saying like, where can you find time to process? And everyone, you know, I can understand it's just not feasible for, for people, but I just wonder, like even having a conversation about it, even just considering it, I think is important right now. And I think I'm, I'm seeing a shift where, where it's like what you said in the beginning, we're, we're in this now, we're settling in uh, for the long haul, you know, mm-hmm. and how are you, how is that going to be sustainable? How is what we're doing now going to be sustainable for the long term? At some point, if history is any guide, there will be a sunny afternoon where an all clear has been called and the bells will ring and the birds will sing and we will take a deep breath and confidently step through the threshold into this new strange world that has been evolving around us. And I don't know if you know it or not. Um, I suspect you didn't at the time. If you did, that would be very weird. That uh, you were actually writing the anthem for that moment. Did you know that you were actually writing probably the song that every radio station on the earth, we're going to translate it into every language, will play at that moment that the um, that the church bells ring and everyone says, come on, play, it's all fine. You probably didn't know that, did you? But you, you wrote the song, um, Put Your Pants On, <laughs> which I think will be really helpful and appropriate on that random Wednesday morning when we all say, oh, it's it's okay to go give hugs. It's okay to walk. It's okay to get out there again. And uh, yeah, I'll be playing that song uh, at that point. So I think we'll probably play that song now so that everybody knows the song. Is that okay with you? Totally fine. I, you know, I've been laughing about it because I'm like, I, like, I can't sing this song right now. Like nobody's, you don't need to put your pants on. <laughs> Gotta go a little slower, guys. Put your pants.
I was curious, do you go to Scotland? Do you sing, um, put your kilt on? <laughs> like, do you change it? Do you have variations? Put your kimono on? Well, you know, in England, on? pants means something else. In England, pants means underwear. So I have sung that song <laughs> in England and made a joke about it because I'm like, I know pants means underwear here, but we, we can sing it like we are putting our underwear on or we can sing it like, put your trousers on, put your trousers on. Oh, trousers. Your, okay. I was going to be like, well, what? So what do they call pants if they don't, you know, trousers, trousers, bloomers. Those are, that's underwear. They're like what you wear under like a big puffy skirt. It's not what I wear. It's not, I wear petticoats personally. That's different. So. Oh, maybe I'm getting mixed up. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going back to my square dancing days. It was all petticoats back then. Uh, Amelia, thank you so much for this conversation this morning. Thank you, Andrew, for having me. It was so nice to talk to you. And you're doing such a wonderful job uh, and definitely a service for, for, you hear the siren? I do. It's New York for you. Yeah. You hear it? Um, anyway, thank you. You're doing such a wonderful thing, bringing people together and and kind of documenting this experience for all of us. So thank you for that. Yeah, totally. I, uh, I, I, I've talked to several musicians over the past couple of weeks and I've been going back and forth on, do we even talk about what's going on? Or sometimes we get on, I think it was with Joni Leeds and I was like, let's not talk about it. Let's pretend that it isn't happening. We just, let's just talk about what our career was like before. And then that felt kind of disingenuous in a way. Yeah. And so, so it was, it's, so that's why I was, I was, I was really excited to talk to you uh, specifically about what you're doing during this time. Cause I think you're doing a great job and I want you to keep doing a great job. So <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate the encouragement. It means a lot. Thank you so much. <laughs> and that was my conversation with Mills Trills, also known as Amelia Robinson. Maybe it should be the other way. That was my conversation with Amelia Robinson, also known as Mills Trills, and her awesome song, Put Your Pants On, which you should be doing about now, because it's getting warm out there. Summer's coming, and some of the restrictions are being lifted. So put your pants on, and get out there, and make music for children, and have fun! And oh my god, yes. And, since, uh, and then in between the conversation with Amelia a few weeks ago, and the broadcast of this, everything changed again. And so we're rolling through a whole new set of circumstances, but I guess that's the way life works. And I guess the more challenging it gets for everybody out there, the more important it is that there's people out there like Amelia who are consciously, purposefully, and with good intent doing good things for kids. Check her out, good online. She's doing some amazing things, really cool from a, a digital uh, standpoint, uh, as far as the way that she does her presentations online. And, uh, and darn, and doggone it, she's just a good person who also is helping out the community uh, of, of kindy children's artists. And there you go. That's it for this week's edition of Barn Banter with Cowboy Andy. You want to be in the barn? Come to the barn with me and we will talk about all sorts of fun and interesting things. Like your career, where we go from here, how we make a difference, how we get over fears and anxieties, how we do glitter, because glitter is fun with glue, and I'm not very good at it. I just make a mess. So, uh, yeah, so I could take, uh, okay, clearly it's time for us to sing a song. La, 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 la. Oh
like playing games We all like to be hugged and loved Tucked in our beds at night Tall or small, boy or girl Brown, pink or black or white Ho, ho, ho Let's sing a song about How we're all the same How we all like snacks and cuddles And we all like playing games We all like to be hugged and loved Tucked in our beds at night Tall or small, boy or girl